When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I am interested in is the Welsh nation getting absolute freedom. And of course, uh, that is freedom, and actually, we'd be part of a geographical entity, the British Isles, and in matters of defence and everything like that, naturally, the Welsh and the Irish and the Scotch and the English would work together like one man. But uh, I, I want my nation to be free to govern itself so as to preserve its best traditions, its language and culture. And of course, ours is a Celtic culture, whereas the culture of England is Teutonic, and the two, they're quite different, and one is not complementary to the other. John Morris! John Morris! John Morris! Do you want to do it, Mr. Morris? Yes, uh, what's, what's the protest all about? Um, it's about John Morris's um, lack of sympathy towards the Welsh language in placing English above Welsh on road signs in Wales. And you have been active in taking down road signs, have yes. you? And is this, this, protest will be, this will be carried on until all road signs in Wales are, are uh, yeah, bilingual with a preference given to the Welsh language in its own country. The island of Anglesey may not be the whole of Wales, but it's fairly representative of Welsh-speaking Wales, and its problems are very much the same problems that Welsh people generally have to face today. Questions of language and nationality, of devolution and independence, are very live issues throughout the country. And in Anglesey, there are the added problems of the increasing industrialisation of a predominantly agricultural area and the threatened pollution and disfigurement which such development brings in its trail. Anglesey has always had a special interest for Ireland, 
since so many Irish people have had their first contact with Wales through the port of Hollyhead. Many have spent enjoyable holidays in the island, and many more have passed through it and over the Menai Strait, either by Telford's famous suspension bridge or by the Britannia Tubular Bridge, which carries the railway link to London. Anglesey must, of course, attract anyone who is interested in the ancient Celtic culture. The old name Anus Mon reminds one of the association with the goddess Mona, and Mon Mam Cymrae, Mona the mother of Wales, was one name given to the island. It's a place rich in legend and history. It's where the Druids made a last stand against the Romans, and, in a very literal sense also, it's the oldest part of Wales, as Mrs Margaret Wood of the University of Manchester, who has done pioneering work on the dating of rock, told us. Well, most of the rock in Anglesey is about 900 million years old. 900 um, million? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of Wales is Cambrian, most of it is Cambrian, and younger, that's 500 million or younger than that. Um, in Anglesey, the oldest ones that we found are 900 in Chemist Bay, where you can find fossils which are distinctive to that particular time. And we found these in about three different places, and so they can be dated at that. Well, now, what sort of rocks have you come across in Anglesey? Well, there are f- there's the complete suite, really. There's sedimentary rocks, which are the ones we can date. There are metamorphic rocks, which are ones which have been changed with heat or pressure. And there are igneous rocks, which are ones formed as a, in a molten form um, from volcanoes or deep-seated rocks and so on, like the basalts and so on, which you get in Ireland. They'd be the same as the Giant's Causeway, would they? Well, they're similar, similar but not the same composition. An Irishman in Anglesey will find the landscape very like that of his own country, the flat grasslands reminding him of the plains of Meath and the occasional stone ditch inviting comparison with somewhere like East Galway. And Anglesey is first and foremost an agricultural country. R.J. Williams, Secretary of the Farmers' Union of Wales. Although Anglesey is a small island containing some 240 uh, square miles. Uh, it has always been, and still is, uh, the, the, the main and basic industry of the island is agriculture. And uh, it's a, mostly a grassland county. And we can produce practically any type of stock and finish them off, off the land. Obviously... Uh, cattle, sheep, I've seen hundreds of sheep uh, in my travels through Anglesey. <laughs> I, I suppose I'm right there in saying that it is largely uh, cattle and sheep, is it? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, the, the, the main uh, product is beef, and then we come to the production of milk, and thirdly, the production of sheep, as you quite rightly say. Uh, we've got very little uh, uh, rough land on the island, the total area, excluding rough grazing, now in agriculture, is some 126,000 acres. Uh, since 1939, some over 20,000 acres has been absorbed for development, whether it be housing, uh, roads, schools, reservoirs, air- airfields, and sites for industries. But um, the production is 
immense as compared with the other counties, the former counties of Wales. And by today, we are not a county in our own right, but we are part of Gwynedd, uh, previously having been our own county in Anglesey. Uh, we've got a very long growing season. It grows practi practically throughout the whole year, except during severe frosts. And um, we are also an exporting county. And I very much uh, think, and I've been uh, trying to uh, make some or uh, form some avenues or some outlets instead of our stock being uh, transported alive across that Menai Suspension Bridge for consumption in other parts of the country. On average, we export from, uh, from Anglesey some 50,000 fat cattle every year and over 200,000 fat lambs. Apart from our milk, one, most of our milk is being exported to other parts, other parts of North Wales, other parts of England. In the industrialisation process now going on in Anglesey, few of the new developments relate in any way to agriculture, and many indeed are the cause of great concern to the people of the island because of their effect on the environment. Owen Hughes of Brentag told us about some of them. I think the first big industry, heavy industry to come here was the octal industry in Amroch, which is supposed to produce an anti-knock fluid for petrol. Well, I don't know, uh, but uh, there's been quite a lot of pollution from that, of course. Then, of course... Well, in, I, in what form? Well, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not a scientist... So I can't t t t tell you what, but I know customers of mine round Damloch, they tell me they can't grow things in the gardens and things like that because of the pollution from Octal, you see. Well, now, uh, after that, of course, we had the uh, the uh, Wilbur power station. And uh, I still regard uh, power uh, production from nuclear stations as being in the experimental stage. And I'm rather... A, wary of them, you see. And uh, I was I, I was uh, the only member of the Anglesey County Council at the time to oppose that. Well, now then, after that, of course, we, we've had the aluminium smelter, which is a very, very dirty industry. And uh, it spreads a sort of white <coughs> dust all around the countryside, it, doesn't it? it? Does. I've seen that it, myself. Yes, it does. And, of course, uh, to me, that was quite absurd because they were bringing the bauxite, the raw material from this, from Australia. Well, I think it would be much better if they'd uh, put a smelter in Australia than have it at Holyhead. But uh, what about all the employment it provides? Well, it's, uh, it employs roughly about 900 people. That's a large number of people, though, yes, isn't it? Yes, but they're working under very, very bad conditions and they don't stick it long. And uh, students go there in the summer, I know, just to make a bit of easy money. But, uh, of course, they're only there for a short time. But uh, I don't think anybody would like the prospect of uh, tying himself down to work there for a long period of time. It's unhealthy work, is it? Well, in the pot rooms, it's very, very unhealthy, yes. The smelter came. Uh, we posted, certain members were posted, Mr Keane myself, very strong supporters, uh, antagonists of the, of the scheme. But it came, you see, and uh, so far it is not working out satisfactorily. 
and of course they got forty-five million pound subsidy for coming there. And after after uh, it was built, Val Duncan, who was then the head, I believe he's dead now, isn't he? He admitted that they would never have come to Holyhead had they not got this subsidy. Well, now uh, apart from that, they are getting cheap power from Wilver. And this Wil is the atomic, the atomic power station. station. Mm -hmm. Wilver was built with the money that the consumers of the Merseyside and North Wales Electricity Board had, had uh, contributed for years before they started. We were, and of course, uh, it's, it's not very fair. Even farmers who, were, who hadn't got power themselves had, had to pay this. Well, I, I think that uh, instead of that, of course, it'd be much better if uh, there was more support for the industries already existing in Anglesey and support for small industries and for young people in Anglesey who could create industries than doing this. An Irishman resident in Anglesey for 25 years, a graduate of Trinity College Dublin, with a scientific training and background, is one of those concerned about the effect of modern technology on what was, up to recently, the fairly unspoilt landscape of the island. Bill Grove White of Clan Fechel. I became involved in considering the oil terminal, which the Shell Company have, uh, are now building, it's nearly finished, are now building at Amel. Its sole purpose, as originally conceived, being to deal with, I quote, the ever-increasing imports of Middle East oil, which are to be expected for our Stanlow refinery, which is in Cheshire, in England. The, the oil was to be landed off Anglesey and then by a single-boy mooring, which is a mooring right out in the sea, with then a pipeline from the mooring to the shore and then a further pipeline to Stanlow. I was, and many others, were gravely concerned at the threat of pollution of our seas from this. Shell originally gave assurances that there had never been any cases of spillage. Later they admitted to two in a House of Lords committee. By the end of that committee they had admitted to 20 altogether throughout the world. But when we came under threat of contempt of Parliament, they had to show, make their records available. It appeared that in one terminal, the, their most recent terminal at Durban in South Africa, there had been 23 spillages in the first 91 operations. This disclosure meant that the House of Lords Committee was reconvened, and the comments on Shell's integrity in the report of that committee make interesting reading. That was only part of the story of their attitude to a small community. Right along, they had given an assurance that the pipeline from the buoy to the shore would be buried below the seabed for its entire length. It later appeared that they were going to leave some 300 metres of this pipeline sitting on the seabed where it is at great risk for a dragging anchor from any ship in distress 
on a notoriously dangerous coast. Uh, eventually, their spokesman in the House of Lords had to apologise for telling lies to Parliament. But, unfortunately, the law is such that the only way to remedy such a situation is to promote another bill cancelling the first one. We hadn't got the funds for that. The capacity of an oil terminal or a nuclear power station to create pollution is immense. And people like Bill Grove White, looking at the very obvious effects on trees and grass and vegetation of the aluminium plant near Hollyhead, recall ruefully the promises they heard before the establishment of this particular industry. I must admit that at the time that the Rio Tinto uh, smelter was projected, I supported the idea. But this was largely because I had believed figures for expected pollution, which were given at the public inquiry. I believed that figures given at a public inquiry meant something. Later, it appeared in a a letter from the alkali inspector that he regarded such figures as of no relevance whatsoever to the standards which he would insist upon. I was so angry about this that, in fact, I put in a memorandum of evidence to the recent Royal Commission on Environmental Pollution, and their comments about the role of the alkali inspector, I think, bear out my feelings on the matter. Bill Grove White is, as we've said, an Irishman living in Anglesey. Nick Keane is an Englishman also settled down there. What does he think of the new industries on the island? My feeling on, uh, of industry as such is that um, primarily the, the sole reason for industry in Anglesey would be in order to absorb the unemployed. Uh, outside of that, I can see no reason whatsoever for doing this. And what one needs to achieve is a, a stable situation in which Industry is exactly balanced by the um, ability of the of the people to supply the labour, um, and we have never achieved anything like this. Mm. All we have succeeded in doing over the past ten to fifteen years is to bring in more and more people into Anglesey, increase the population, the working population, without increasing proportionately the mm. a number of jobs. So that what has happened, in, in fact, is although we have very much more in the way of industry at the moment than we had 15 years ago, we have, additionally, many more unemployed than we had 15 years ago. Um, Mm. The rate of increase of population due to people coming in because of the attractions of the new industries that have been set up in Anglesey has been greater, in fact, than the absorption of the the, uh, labour into industry itself. And And I think this is primarily uh, the blame for this lies at the at the door of the old Anglesey County Council, of which I used to be a member. And I make no apologies for this, but I was one of the minority who who didn't see eye to eye with the rest of my fellow councillors. I feel that always one has got to relate industry to the uh, situation in which you you bring it. And Anglesey is a a very good example of the the sort of uh, uh, place where sighting of industry ought to be related to the existing industries... Mm. There. Owen Hughes, whom we heard earlier, thinks it's not sound economics to create employment at a million pounds per job, as has been done in some cases in Anglesey. And he has put his theories into practice by starting a small industry on his own farm, an industry with which we're familiar in Ireland, the production of peat moss for horticultural purposes. Through developing the peat, which brings in 
ready cash weekly. I have made this small farm, which is only 60 acres, into a viable unit, you see. Well, of course, there are lots of farms who could do things like this. And, of course, I've often thought that what we could do within Wales, because uh, this, this admission, an admission by the deputy head of the Bordnamona, he said that everybody from Russia, from Germany, everywhere, if they're thinking about Pete, they go to Ireland for advice. And he said, you know, they come from England. And you know you've got more Pete over there than we have here. It takes Scotland and Wales and England all put together. But it's a different kind of peat. It's a different it? kind of peat, yes. And, uh, but we have got it, you see. And uh, I've often thought, now you take the peat in uh, Carnarvonshire and Merionet, that's too acid for anything for, to use for horticulture. But when we realise that there are ships carrying peat from the Boyne, to Thames Valley, incessantly from one year's end to the other, and uh, they just carry peat, and they go back, they fill uh, uh, with water as ballast, they go back, don't take anything, any other cover back, back with them. They're doing that just to produce smokeless fuel from for London's own. Well, with all the peat we have in Wales, if we had a national uh, company, just like the Bournemouth owner, that could give work to hundreds, I'm sure, in Wales, if not thousands. Tourism is another industry which continues to expand in Anglesey. It's also one of those activities which might be regarded as helping towards the Anglicisation of the island. And yet, as Dr J.A. Davis, principal of the Normal College of Education in Bangor, told us, this whole area remains, for the greater part, firmly Welsh-speaking. Gwynedd is almost entirely Welsh-speaking. I think the population of Gwynedd is about 89% first language Welsh. But in Bangor, of course, being a university town, you have quite a number of people coming in uh, in connection with the university. But it is a, it is a Welsh-speaking community. And all our proceedings, as you've probably seen in the official notice, uh, have been done bilingually. And in this college, as we're on the question of language, every lecture is done in both English and in Welsh. Every piece of administration, every letter is done bilingually. So we live a natural, bilingual kind of life. The majority of our students, 78%, come from Wales, and 52% are first language Welsh. And out of 93 members of staff, 89 lecture through the medium of Welsh. And that is why we have on occasions been very, very happy indeed to entertain at this college friends from Ireland who are also interested in the question of minority languages and on second language teaching in particular. And uh, we were delighted to have... uh, Dr. Shams Abakhli, for example, from Dublin, uh, with us last year at the Interscholar Conference at this college. Do you think the, the Welsh language is holding its own, say, in Anglesey? Yes, I think so. Oh, it's holding its own. Uh, a lot will depend... Well, it's very... Um, a lot will depend, of course, on um, economic prospects. It is possible that more and more uh, people will come into Anglesey to retire from outside and that more people will leave the island to find employment um, elsewhere. But certainly the schools of Anglesey are almost 100% Welsh, and um, there is no evidence to think otherwise. In an area so largely Welsh-speaking, those Irish people who have settled down there are just another of the Anglicising influences, paradox though that may be. Their language is English, and they are mostly Roman Catholic by religion. Very often their priest is Irish too, but that is not the case in the market town of Menai Bridge. 
Father Brian Jones of St Anne's there is Welsh-born, the son of an Irish mother and a Welsh Methodist father. His parishioners, who are a 10% minority, include quite a few Irish. But what I like to see about the Irish here, they've integrated themselves totally into the community. They don't form themselves into, into cliques. They're not separatist in any way at all. Uh, they're accepted as being Irish, but first and foremost, I think they're accepted as being part of the community. And I think this is a very good thing. What about schools then? You've no separate Catholic schools? No, we haven't any separate Catholic schools. First of all, we haven't got the numbers. Um, you see, I've only got 380 parishioners altogether. They're mainly young people with two or three young children. Perhaps in 10, 20 years' time, there'll be enough Catholic children for a Catholic school. But I'd like this integration uh, to become more and more to the forefront in our life here. Uh, our own Catholic children do have their instruction, individual instruction. I have classes for the Catholic children, preparing them for First Holy Communion, for confession, for confirmation, and things like that. But the more that they can integrate with the community, I think this is a good thing. What language mostly would your parishioners speak now? My parishioners, as Catholics, speak uh, English. But my people, as the community, speak Welsh. And... Um, I suppose if you go into a shop, the first thing they'd do, if they didn't know that you weren't a member of the community, they'd speak to you in Welsh. Once they did know that you're a stranger or you're a visitor or a tourist, then they'd speak English to you. Uh, of the, the natives of the village, of the area, they, they do speak. I think 90% of them do speak Welsh first. Well, you speak Welsh yourself, don't you? I was brought up to speak Welsh. Uh, my grandparents still speak to me in Welsh. Um, there's no English spoken at all in my grandparents' home. But in my own parents' home, because my mother's Irish, our language, language is in English. Isn't that a sort of an anomaly in a way that it's, well, when it's I first, the Irish well, <laughs> or I, the English speakers? Yeah. When, I, when I first came here, it was rather strange, actually. I wanted to, be, wanted to be known as Father Brian rather than Father Jones to get the friendly sort of feeling between myself and the people, to have the formality of the father, but the informality of the Brian rather than the Jones. And I kept being asked, what part of Ireland are you from, Father? What part of Ireland are you from, Father? And they were quite surprised <laughs> when I told them, I'm not Irish, I'm Welsh, I'm Welsh. You know, with a name like Jones, what else could you be, you know? And they were quite amazed because they automatically thought in this area, because I was the first Catholic priest they had as their own Catholic priest here, that I would be Irish. And I'm not, and I'm very proud of the fact. We have very few Welsh <coughs> native vocations, and I'm very proud that I am one. I never went to a, a Catholic school. We lived nine miles from the nearest Catholic school. I was brought up in the local village school. Um, I didn't know what a, a Catholic church looked like until I was about 14 years of age, but, well, thank God I had a very good Irish mother uh, with deep roots in the faith, and... Um, I think the home life um, overrode any difficulties I might have had not going to a Catholic school. I did go to a Catholic school for a few months, and uh, because of petrol rationing when I was a, a child, the bus service was taken off, and so my father had to withdraw myself and my brother from the Catholic school. And he went to the headmistress of the Catholic school and said, I've got to take my son away. And she said, there's another soul lost to the church. And my father reminded that headmistress of that remark the day that I was ordained a priest. Father Brian Jones, PP, whose name alone betokens his Welsh and Irish backgrounds. 
The bonds between the Celtic countries can often be exaggerated, but music is a common link, even though the traditions of Ireland and Anglesey are very different. Eamon O'Donnell, a veterinary surgeon who comes from Derry, is an example of an Irish man who plays a vital role in the life of the island community, and who is equally at home singing in a Welsh choir or playing an Irish reel on the concertina. We spoke to himself and to Mrs Maureen Hughes, and we asked Eamon first how he felt as a practitioner of traditional Irish music coming to Anglesey. Well, I thought I was leaving all of it, if not most of it, behind. And, uh, well, when I came here, I thought, if you can't beat them, join them. So I did get involved in a little sort of the local Welsh pastime of male voice choirs, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and uh, I'm glad to say it, it lived up to my expectations. What choir did you join, in fact? Uh, the Cor Cor Trith, or should I say Cor Mebian Trith? But it's the slur of the words and just pronounced Cor Trith. It is a rather well-known choir in Wales, and uh, I must say it certainly widened my experience and increased my enjoyment of this this place. But uh, what I, what did surprise me was that I not only did I not leave the Irish tradition behind, I found a group in Bangor, alive and well, and Carolyn lives in North Wales as much as he does in Dublin. And uh, he used to spend many pleasant evenings in a, in a pub, of course, uh, playing Irish traditional music as well as my other activities in the Welsh sphere. And Maureen Hughes, uh, there is a slight difference, I would say, just the same between the Irish and the Welsh traditions. Yes. In music and uh, song. Yes, I think there is really quite a, a, a very marked difference. That, as I see it, uh, as far as I can make, the Irish are not great choral singers. They're, they're not choral singers. They're individual singers. They're soloists, and uh, very wonderful soloists. This is how I feel. But um, here in Wales, we have both... We have soloists, but we do have this great feeling for choral singing. I think a good way perhaps to illustrate this, in um, the uh, Welsh chapels here, if you go to their religious services uh, on a Sunday or any other day for that matter, anything connected with, uh, with, with religion at all, if it is Welsh people, uh, they are to be heard absolutely musically at their musical best in the chapel still. I know they were reached a great zenith perhaps um, 80 or 90 years ago, but they are still tremendous. They can also be heard even beyond their zenith in a pub. But now I you wouldn't... I not think they drank at all. Oh, no, not at all. I wasn't... <laughs> not at all on Sunday. Just be there. <laughs> not on, on a Sunday. Not on Sunday. No, never on Sundays. No. Um, but... Uh, now, you, you don't get this very beautiful, uh, harmonious, uh, and antiphonal um, uh, choral singing in Ireland in the same way as you get it here. But I think Ireland has produced more instrumentalists as well, some that are up and coming now in Wales, but not as talented, I think, generally as the Irish. There is definitely a difference in folk music. In you would probably music. agree, Eamon, about the instrumental music, would you? Yes, and I think 
another point of another point of difference between Irish and the Welsh. The Welsh have this greater classical tradition. Oh, I think uh, in, so. Definitely. In the smallest village concert yes. in Wales, you'll mm. get some beautiful singers up doing operatic mm. works and yes. beautiful classical pieces, and yeah. they've much more, I suppose, uh, classical knowledge, classical education mm. music, uh-huh. which is lacking to some extent in in Ireland. And uh, well, I suppose the two don't really go together, do they? Uh, well. No, although some would, some people say that a, a true folk tradition is as classical as a as well, written yes. down tradition, but uh, that's a point of argument. And many a skull has been split over that one. I'm sure Eamon would agree that uh, it is possible to go into a pub if you pick your pub, of course, what we call a singing pub, and you could find four men in a corner, absolutely carried away, singing some quite abstruse quartet from an opera and singing it perfectly. I've heard this myself. Have you? Oh yes, this is yes. Uh, this is a fact. Mm-hmm. This is. Mm-hmm. To an outsider, you know, this is what we thought was the, the myth of Wales. You know, yeah, we saw yeah. all these mad Welshmen at rugby matches singing their heads up. We thought that was only for mm. the tourists. But when we, when, we, when I did yes. come and found this to be a fact, that uh, yeah. Well, you play a little bit yourself, Eamon. Would you like to give us an old bar now? <laughs> well, I wouldn't like to, but I suppose I'd like to. <laughs> Well, this now seems like a, a very traditional County Clare instrument that you're going to play. Uh, I was hoping that you wouldn't bring up the County Clare concertina players. When I listen to them, I feel like throwing this thing away because they are, you know, they are the concertina players to end all concertina players. But you're going to have a shot at it anyhow. Well, I don't think there's any within listening distance, so I might as well. <laughs> kinds of music go down well in Anglesey and the arts generally are well catered for in the island. A small town like Menai Bridge can boast of a unique museum of childhood and also an art gallery which recently housed a special exhibition to commemorate 150 years of the Menai Suspension Bridge. The Tegvrin Art Gallery is part of the home of Mr and Mrs Harry Brown and Mrs Brown told us how it began. Well, it all started because my husband was interested in the Air Training Corps. He came home one evening after a meeting uh, saying they wanted to buy a link trainer for the boys and they hadn't enough money. So we decided that we would have a coffee morning here. Well, coffee mornings can be very boring if it's just chatting. So I suggested that we ask some of the local artists to bring some of their work along, and if we sold some, that they would get commission, which would help towards buying the link trainer for the air training corps. And it just grew from that? From That was all over the house. But then we found that it was getting mixed up with the running of the house, so then we decided, as it was so popular, to make it a permanent thing, all on the ground floor. 
And you have some exhibition of some sort going on nearly all the time. We have an exhibition all the year round, and we have about four one-man exhibitions a year. And we're open every day um, from ten to six. Anglesey, then, is an island which preserves some balance between the arts and the encroachments of industry and commerce. Its culture is firmly based on the Welsh language, though, as we heard at the beginning, voices are raised in protest against what is considered an inadequate recognition by the authorities of the place of the language in various spheres of public life. On the political front, there's a wide range of opinion on devolution and the whole question of self-government for Wales. Owen Hughes may not represent a majority view, but what he has to say on the establishment of a Welsh Parliament gives some indication of the kind of debate we may hear more of in the future. I'm uh, rather a dissident voice in the Nationalist Party because I've always argued that Wales will get self-government when she takes it, not before. And what do you mean by that? Well, uh, the, 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 we, you've got to stand up to English. Of course, I, I, I was one of the people who believed immediately after the last war, and uh, I was supported by Saunders Lewis in this. He was then the president. And he appealed to the Nationalist Party then, don't waste your resources on trying to get members of parliament into Westminster. Because if you had the whole, if you had the whole 36 there, there'd be a minority in there. They, couldn't do, they could do but very little. But, he said, get con- full control of all the local authorities in Wales. And that is why I, I tried for the Anglesey County Council. Now, had we done that, if we'd had a, a majority on every county council, we could have dictated what the policy was to be, and not the London government. But do you not feel yourself now that Wales has made very little progress on the lines you would indicate in recent years? Yes, unfortunately, you see, the Nationalist Party at the time did not accept this. And, of course, they they have wasted a tremendous uh, uh, amount of money and resources on, on trying to get into Parliament, whereas had they monopolised all the local authorities. Now, for instance, now, take, take Anglesey. Had we had a sufficient number of nationalists on the county council, there would be no language question here. All the schools would be Welsh schools or bilingual schools, and the language would be safe. And what is the situation, in fact, at the moment? Well, the situation at the moment is that uh, the language is just holding its own, losing a little bit of ground every year, and, of course, the anglicising influences are increasing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.